So uh, the State Department announced today that they are temporary, temporarily relocating our embassy operations in Ukraine uh, from our embassy in Kiev to Lviv due to the dramatic acceleration in the buildup of Russian forces. That's White House Deputy Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre. On Monday afternoon, she gave a briefing to reporters on the situation in Ukraine and the increasing fears that an invasion by Russia is imminent. A core team of embassy staff is remaining in Ukraine to engage with the Ukrainian government, coordinating diplomatic efforts and diplomacy to de-escalate if the crisis continues. So, Shane, how are those diplomatic efforts going? Not great. Uh, They are not producing any breakthroughs. That's Shane Harris. He covers national security for The Post. You have seen the chancellor of Germany, Olaf Scholz, on his own kind of shuttle mission. He was in Kyiv on Monday. He is going to meet with President Putin on Tuesday. At least he's scheduled to. Uh, We have a big security conference coming up in Munich, Germany, that may provide some more opportunity for diplomatic meetings. Uh, And Sergei Lavrov, He's the foreign minister of Russia, reported to Vladimir Putin today in remarks that were televised that uh, Russia is open to more discussion and more diplomacy. That window appears to be closing, but it is open right now. It's just that no one has been able to find the diplomatic solution to this because the sides are still so much at an impasse. We are watching still troops at the border. We are aware also from newly disclosed intelligence by the U.S. government that they think that Putin was planning another false flag operation. This would be a staged attack that he would try to blame on Ukraine as a pretext for invasion. And some officials thought that could come as soon as this week. So all eyes are kind of on this week as possibly the moment where the war would start. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Monday, February 14th. Today, the latest on the threat of a Russian invasion of Ukraine and how that invasion could go down. So considering all the troops that are now on the border between Russia and Ukraine and all of the intelligence about what is going behind the scenes in Russia and Putin's closest circles, I mean, is there any avoiding this at this point? I think there's always a possibility, and a lot of this depends on what Vladimir Putin is really up to. I mean, U.S. officials have stressed time and again that they don't know that he has made a decision to invade. I've talked to some European current and former officials who think that he's bluffing, and that this is all a very high-stakes effort to pressure concessions from Ukraine. But in Washington and in London, I would say officials are about 75% certain Uh, they say that he is going to invade. Shane, it really struck me the last time we talked, um, you described the Ukrainian president Zelensky as essentially saying that these reports of an impending invasion are overblown, that many Ukrainians think that this is America and the West getting a little bit carried away uh, with dramatics about what's happening. Is there any reason to think that that is still an accurate way of looking at the situation, that this is essentially the U.S. being a little bit hysterical? 
I think there is a world in which Vladimir Putin does not actually intend to launch a massive invasion of Ukraine, and he is doing this as a way of trying to pressure the Ukrainians and the Americans to, and NATO to giving him concessions. If that's the case, the Biden administration can kind of counter the critique from Ukraine that they're being you know, hyperbolic or they're overreacting. If Putin backs away, they'll say, look, you know, we were right to go out there and warn the world about what he was trying to do and to disclose all this information. That may be the thing that caused him to understand that this is a this exercise is destined to fail. But yeah, is there a chance that the United States is overreacting it? Sure. Obviously, I think the Americans don't see it that way. But mm-hmm. yeah, I think we have to leave open that possibility. If you say that the sense is an invasion could happen any day, how is that actually expected to go down? Like, what would that invasion look like? Well, I think most analysts that I've talked to and who've spoken about this, to you know, in other forums, think that the first thing that Putin is likely to do, well, it might be multi-pronged, but you'll see rocket and missile attacks and possibly aerial attacks on Ukraine. I think probably mm-hmm. on Kiev, possibly on some key command and control centers, some government facilities. There's also a presumption that he would move in his troops along the eastern border of Ukraine, of course, going through an area where he already has some freedom of movement because there's a separatist movement there that is largely backed by Russia. And then also moving troops down from Belarus in the north. There's currently a very large joint military exercise going Going on in Belarus between their military forces and Russia's. So he has you know, troops there and uh, equipment there. There is some thought that there will kind of be a pincer movement, right, where they'll come down from the north, mm. they'll move in from the east, and then possibly you would have these aerial attacks too. Worth noting as well, he has warships and probably submarines as well off the south of Ukraine. So you could be looking at a fairly multi-pronged attack. I think that's what most analysts expect, that if he goes all in, that's what he'll do, is is do it from the air, from the land, and from the sea. You said that U.S. intelligence has been warning about uh, reports that Putin is planning a false flag event or something that would make it look like Russia was only responding to some kind of aggression from Ukraine. If that does transpire, like what, what does that actually look like? What will be the news that we hear that should make our brains go off and say, oh, this is the thing that people were warning about? Likely what you would see, and and, and this is the kind of the, the character of both of the false flags, I think, that have been discussed, is that the Russians would claim that there had been some kind of attack, probably by the Ukrainian military or by some kind of pro-Ukrainian group, on either Russian military installations or possibly even, uh, you know, in Russia or against Russian-speaking people in eastern Ukraine. Mm. They would make it look like some kind of attack. We know from the first false flag that was alleged that the Russians were said to have been planning to film kind of a fake attack and explosions using uh, destroyed military equipment. They were going to use corpses to stand in as victims. They were going to oh hire gosh. actors to be mourners. But regardless, you'll, you'll probably see it as something that is either completely faked or I suppose it could be that the Russians might take a real event and then interpret it as a kind of a provocation. So, you know, you've noticed that Russian officials are saying, well, we're doing all of these military exercises within our own territory. That's perfectly allowed. But the Ukrainians are moving military around too, and they appear to be taking provocative steps. So they could Mm. perhaps try to claim that there was some provocation from the Ukrainian side that wasn't exactly a false flag, but they might kind of be spinning it in such a way that they say, well, we're just acting in our own self-defense now. This is Mm -hmm. what we have to do. 
Is this something that Russia has done before or that Putin has done before? Well, not necessarily with respect to a false flag with regards to Ukraine, but, you know, you have seen Putin go in with his forces and try to deny that they're his. So there is a history of kind of this, you know, operation through subterfuge and, you know, these kind of covert operations, you know, notably in 2014, as, you know, military forces were going into Crimea, Putin tried to say like, well, they're not ours. And these were, you know, troops without insignia on. They became known as little green men, uh, famously in the press. And it turned out, of course, of course, they were Russian forces. So he has a history certainly of denying his own military operations, which I think has led some analysts to believe that he would have no qualms lying about another country's military operations, including an attack against him. So if an invasion does happen in the next few days, what are, what is expected to follow after that? How does the U.S. and NATO and other countries in Europe respond? Well, if there were an invasion, there are analysts who think that you could see Kiev, the capital of Ukraine, fall within a couple of days. You could have tens of thousands of civilians killed and wounded in Ukraine. What would happen then is presumably a wave of very, very harsh sanctions and economic responses by NATO member countries, by the United States, obviously. Political condemnation. Uh, You might see a cutting off of diplomatic ties uh, with Russia. What you're not going to see is a military presence. You're not going to see U.S. or other NATO member forces going into Ukraine. And Putin knows that. He knows that they are not going to come to the rescue, if you will, of Ukrainian military forces. And can I ask, like, why, why is that? Like, why, why is it just such a non-starter that, that there is any kind of physical military aid that is being sent to Ukraine if, you know, I, I assume all these countries are of the belief that Ukraine shouldn't be invaded and it's a violation of their sovereignty. So why wouldn't they come to the defense of Ukrainians? The simple fact probably is that they don't want a war with Russia and Europe. (laughs) Um, I think they are very concerned about making a terrible situation even worse. I think that there is, you know, genuine concern about a larger land war breaking out in Europe if, you know, the Americans put forces uh, in there to combat the Russians. Um, Ukraine also is not a NATO member state. That is kind of the issue of whether Ukraine should be in NATO is kind of at the heart of this whole tension right now. If it were a member of NATO, then yes, there would have to be a military response. Otherwise, the NATO alliance would just cease to exist in that moment. It would be, you know, no good anymore. But, you know, so the, the, the official answer is they're not a NATO member. The real answer is none of these countries want to go to war with Russia. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're frankly, you know, to be really brutally honest about it, they're not prepared to go to war with Russia over Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a lot of, you know, politics about Ukrainian Russian relations. There's a history there. But I think these countries have just calculated it's not worth the, you know, potentially horrific war that you would see. Uh, now, If there is conflict in Ukraine and tens of thousands of people are dying and we talk in a couple of weeks, maybe those calculations will have changed. We will see. Mm. It's easy for, I think, countries now to say we'll never go in. Let's see what it looks like in a couple of weeks. Um, You know, the conditions are going to dictate that, but there's no scenario being contemplated right now for a military response by uh, other countries than Ukraine against Russia. And what does that mean for Ukraine? I mean, is this a country that has the ability to defend itself militarily against against Russia or 
is the expectation that they're essentially going to get steamrolled. Yeah, the future looks really bleak for Ukraine if Russia goes in with the amount of force that it's marshalling. There's no doubt the Ukrainian military will put up a fight. I think that most analysts believe, though, that the Russian forces will defeat the Ukrainian forces, you know, fairly quickly, not without casualties on both sides, uh, we should note. Um, There's a question of whether or not the individuals would rise up kind of in militia groups or form a resistance. So it wouldn't necessarily be a cakewalk. And I think that the U.S., you know, we've reported this as well has assessed that it's going to be very difficult for Russia to go in with forces and then defeat the military and then occupy the country. So it's one thing to sort of attack. It's another thing to try to attack and then hold the country. That, I think most analysts believe, would be extremely difficult for Putin to do. It's not clear he has enough people to do it. We know from our own experience, right, sending forces into our countries and invading countries, notably Iraq, how very difficult it can be to hold them. So I think what you're more likely to see is, or at least what Putin's hoping maybe he'll see, is that the central government in Kyiv could become destabilized. Zelensky might leave the country, President Zelensky, or step down, and that perhaps then a new government that was more favorable to Moscow could be installed or maybe even elected Uh, I think Putin would call that a win. After the break, we talk with Shane about what's at stake for the future of American credibility. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Glasses in session. Find Try This from The Washington Post wherever you listen. What are the potential ramifications here for the rest of the world and for Europe? Well, they are uncertain, but they don't look great. They all look pretty grim, frankly. I mean, you know, if the NATO alliance is seen as, granted, you know, Ukraine's not a member state, but if it's basically seen as unable, if the West is seen as unable to stop Vladimir Putin from invading a sovereign country, killing tens of thousands of people and possibly overthrowing its government— That doesn't really build a lot of confidence about what NATO might do if there were an attack on a NATO member state, right? Mm -hmm. Which is not to say Mm -hmm. that, you know, they couldn't defend themselves. I mean, the Germans, the, you know, the United States, the British all have very formidable militaries. But that raises a lot of questions about uh, the resolve of that alliance. Obviously, for the people of Ukraine, I mean, it, it could be horrific. You could be looking at many dead. You could be looking potentially at an occupation. Presumably, their economy would be devastated by this. There are estimates of more than a million people becoming refugees as they would seek to leave the country. I mean, you're talking about something that is just a fundamentally like destabilizing event on a human, political, and economic level that will not stay contained to Ukraine. There will be ripple effects of that, like a you know, like a rock being dropped into a pond. Mm-hmm. Tremendously destabilizing and undermining. And I think that it is another reason why the Biden administration has been working so hard to try to telegraph to Putin, like, look, this is not worth it. If you do this, mm-hmm. I mean, he, they, Putin knows how destabilizing it will be for Europe. What the Biden administration and the allies are trying to say is also, it will be awful for Russia if you do this because we will mm-hmm. hurt you. 
Shane, you talked about the question here of the credibility of NATO, but I'm also I'm curious about the credibility of the U.S. here. You know, it seems like this is a moment where we as a country, especially coming out of Iraq, coming out of Afghanistan, are having these hard questions around, like, where are we and where are we not willing to put U.S. military force into action? And like, what is worth it to us to, or what seems productive for us to get involved in? And it feels like this is one of those moments where a lot of people are saying, we're, we're just going to leave this country to defend itself. But also, what, what are we going to do? Yeah, I think there's a, there's a bit of an identity crisis for the United States in a moment like this. I mean, we have decades of conflict with Russia. They have long been one of our primary strategic adversaries. And if, you know, not just this president, but any American president is seen as essentially unable to prevent the invasion of another country, and and, and clearly an invasion on a level that was different than even the invasion of Ukraine in 2014, it raises really profound questions about American influence, about American power, about our ability to persuade our adversaries not to act against our interests. The question of whether to put in military forces, I think, is one that, you know, Americans are war-weary after, you know, 20-plus years of this. You don't see, I think, a great constituency or a great kind of hue and cry in the United States to send American forces in to help Ukraine. Candidly, I think Ukraine is not something that most Americans think about every day. It Mm -hmm. is very much outside the zone of most people's experience. They would probably have a hard time explaining why the country is important to us. But at the same time, I do think a lot of Americans think of ourselves as these like global superheroes or the people who come in, like protect these defenseless countries. And I think that there is this like tension there of, of who are we as a military power? Yeah, I think that's right. And I think this is one of those situations where we're going to have to wait and see if Putin does invade and we are being, you know, bombarded with images of Russian tanks rolling through cities and dead civilians and government buildings on fire, Americans may start to feel very differently about this. I don't know that they'll say like, well, now we have to send in the troops, but I think that they might look at this and say, wow, you know, this is Europe. <laughs> this is right. This is I mean, an ally. And we're powerless to stop Russia from doing these things. I could see it both undermining a lot of people's confidence. I could also see a kind of backlash effect where it just underscores some politicians' desire to, you know, as Donald Trump says, put America first and retreat more from the world stage and say, listen, you know, the world is a screwed up place and it's not our job to solve every problem. And this invasion only shows this is not our business. Stay out of it. Take care of our own. Mm. I mean, I think the the images and the political reality that changes post-invasion are going to be really fascinating and and potentially very unnerving uh, in this country. Shane, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Shane Harris is a national security reporter for The Post. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was produced and mixed by Renny Svernovsky with help from Emma Talkoff. It was edited by Maggie Penman. I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post.
Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Glasses in session. Find Try This from The Washington Post wherever you listen.